I love my children. I have four children. I have Harrison. He's my oldest. He's hard-headed. Soft-hearted. You wouldn't know it to look at him. You think he's about to beat you up, but he's, he's a hard-headed boy, but he is sure sweet and kind when it gets underneath the face. He's married to a wonderful young lady named Rachel. He's 23 years old. I'm proud of him. He's uh, worked for the Wilkes County Sheriff's Department. I'm very, I'm very proud of him. My second oldest is Eli. He's 20. And if you ever meet Eli, you'll just like Eli. He's just one of them kind of people. He's super talented. Super, just fun to be around. Funny. Um, he is. Uh, he helps lead worship for a church on the south side of Asheville. That's the town outside of Asheville that I never can remember the name of. But anyway, south part of Asheville. And uh, he actually had to lead worship this morning. He had two services. He's a little nervous about it, but I think he did well in the first service. And I hope he did well in the second service. I'm pretty proud of him. He's, he's a mechanic. That's how he makes his living. He's a mechanic. And, um, he, I'm just proud of him. Now, Isabel, y'all might have met Isabel. She comes with us most services. She's not here today. She's not feeling great today. But, uh, but she's with us most, most services. She's, um, I'll say this about my daughter. She's my girl. She's beautiful. And don't you tell me anything different. She's smart as they come. She can sing like an angel. She's very introspective, very thoughtful, very interesting. If you get to know her, very interesting person. She's currently a high school senior, and I mean, I really mean this. Probably more so than any of my boys. I don't think I could have said this about them, but I could say this about her. She can do literally anything she wants to do. She just has to put her mind to do it. Then there's Jude. He's 12 years old. Y'all know Jude. If you've been around Jude, you have been touched by Hurricane Jude. He's around. He's a smart boy. He's compassionate. He really is. Has a, has a heart for people. Of all my children, the most spiritually minded child that I've got. The boy reads his Bible like I've never seen most adults read his Bible. I think if he was to make a decision today, he might try to be a doctor. Something in that field is what he's talking about. But we'll see. He's 12. He's got time. He's got time. And I say all that because I, I want more than anything for my children to grow and to flourish. I want to be proud of them. I, I actually am making a choice that almost no matter, I mean, I guess if they went into the mafia or something, I might not be so proud. But I'd find a way to be proud of them. I'd find some way because I, I want to be proud of my children. I want to. I'm choosing to. No matter what they choose to do. And I always want to be part of their lives. I, I want that. And I recognize that that's not, as I get older, I recognize <laughs> And I see some other parents and some other children's relationships. I recognize that's not a given. It's not a given. So I want that. I genuinely want that. But to make that happen, the, the very last thing that I need to do is to force that issue. <laughs> I, I can't make them do. I can't. Yeah, when they're little bitty, you can pick them up and move them from place to place. And they might do for a few minutes anyway. But, they, but you can't make them do. They simply will not do exactly what I tell them to do. They will not. Especially as they become adults. Now, I can nurture them, but they're going to have to grow on their own. I can encourage them, but they have to make their own choices. 
I can make myself available to them, but they have to be a part of that decision whether or not I'm part of their lives or not. That's something they have to be part of. Are you feeling what I'm saying here? Is that this is a this is not something as a parent I want to put my hand on it, make it happen, but I can't. It's something that has to be come together. It's got to be bigger than me. And speaking to the church at Corinth, Paul has, I think, a very similar thought in mind as he's talking to them about the church. He's talking about what the church is and how it works. And, and I want to turn this around on you for just a minute. If you think about, let, let's, let's, let's acknowledge where we are. We are standing or seated in Ellisboro Baptist Church. And I want, you to, I want you to know right now, it is right and it is proper to love Ellisboro Baptist Church. Not only is there nothing wrong with that, it is a very good thing for you to do that. You should want more than anything in this world for this church to grow and to flourish in every aspect of growing and flourishing. You should want that. You should want this church to be a showpiece, something that if I can use that word in the right sense, you can be proud of, a showpiece of God's grace. You should want that. And you should want to, for yourself to have left a legacy of your own life and for your family so that years, decades in the future, that you, your name, your family is associated in some capacity to this church. That's right. That's good. That's proper. But just in the same way as how I come to realize my hopes and dreams for my children, I can't force it. It's got to be done with some finesse. It's got to be done a special way. Paul's message to the church at Corinth is a very similar thing. But if I want to grow, I want to build, and I want to protect God's church, I have to take care of first serving God first and only. Paul's been just talking to the Corinthians in the first three ver- uh, four verses of chapter 3 about how carnal or fleshly or worldly acting they are. And as he's talking about that, he's saying, listen, I'm not really, if you look at what he says, he's not really fussing so much about what they're doing. There's some addressing of what they're doing, but it's less about what they're doing, and it's more about how they're doing it. You understand that? that sometimes you can do the right things, but do them in the wrong way. But that's what that's what he's getting on their case about. The, the Christians at Corinth, I think, really love their church. I think they clearly love their church. As much as Paul is on their case and we can say how horrible the church was and all these problems with the church, and there were problems in the church, Paul's addressing them, but I think they actually love their church. The problem with this church is that they are loving their church, they're pursuing their church with worldly wisdom. They're missing the point. Even Paul says in chapter 1 and verse 17, you're actually undermining the point. You're undermining the gospel. The power of the gospel is being weakened. And to illustrate this point about how we are to love our church and how we're to pursue our church, he gives three pictures, three analogies, three images in this text that we're going to look at about helping them to see how special their church is, but how they can actually see their church flourish the way that they want it to see. I want you to see this first in chapter 3, verse 5 through 9, that little section, it's where the, he gives this illustration of the church as a growing field, as a field. Some of y'all either are farmers or have been on farms, and you know what I'm talking about here, where you want to 
see that field flourish and grow. So he, he talks about that here. Look with me in verse 5. He says, he says there, first of all, who then is Paul and who is Apollos? And remember in verse 4, he's been talking about these people been clicking up behind these guys. They're like, I, I like Paul and I like Apollos. And he says, who are these guys? Who are these jokers that you're talking about here? Who are they? He says, verse 5, they're ministers by whom you believe, even as the Lord gave to every man. He says, these people are important. Yes, I understand it's a problem that some of you are following after one man or another, but it's good that God has put people in this place. This is what God does. God works through men and women. Don't ever miss that. Sometimes we can go too far one way or too far the other, and we can get all, we put men on a pedestal. How wonderful this man or that woman is. And then the other way we can go is we can go and say, well, I don't need nobody for nothing. No, no, God uses men and God uses women to accomplish His work. That's what He's saying there. It doesn't negate, even though they were clicking up behind these people, verse 4, it doesn't negate the value of these leaders. In fact, God used them very mightily. He says there in verse 5, they're ministers by whom you believe. We have the time to take testimony this morning. I bet you that at least half of y'all could say, it's probably more than that, really, half of y'all could say that there was some person or maybe a couple of special people in your life that the reason you're seated here in this church is because they love you enough to share the gospel with you and to invite you to their church. That's probably why a lot of you are here. You can answer, absolutely, that's who I am. There's many of you that are that way. And that's right, that God uses these people. But He uses them. He says, look at verse 6. He says, I have planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. He said, He's using these people much the way that a farmer might use his farmhand. He's got a lot of different jobs to do around the place. He's got things he's got to take care of. That there's certain tasks that need to be done. Some people need to water the crops. Some people need to plant the crop. Somebody's got to pick it. Somebody's got to make sure the weeds are gone. There's all these different aspects. You've got animals. There's other jobs to do. There's, there's diverse jobs, diverse skill sets that are needed, but they all need to be done. He says, but it is ultimately, look what he says in verse, uh, verse 6, God gave the increase. Who's causing the, who's causing the success? It's not the guy who put the water in the ground. Not even the guy who put the seed in the ground. It's God Himself who is the one who's working. I, I want to stop here and say that this church, and I'm talking about our church here, y'all do know where you are, right? You're Nellisburg Church, right? You know where you are. This church, this church is only going to grow by the hand of God. There will never be another soul saved unless God saves them. That's why in Acts, he says, that, that in Acts 2.47, that the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Yeah, they had some of the great men of our history, great men of the church, great men preaching. Peter on the day of Pentecost, and Peter preached a barnstorming sermon. He preached it good. But it wasn't Peter's preaching that saved them. It was the Holy Spirit coming and saving people. That's how that works. I will also add to that that you as believers, and I believe I'm talking to a lot of people who at least have a, 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 a proclamation of your faith. You say that you're a Christian. I'm going to take your word on that, that you believe, you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You'll never grow as a Christian unless God does the growing. 
went, yes, there were going to be Sunday school teachers and friends and mentors and pastors and other people in your life that are going to come alongside of you and show you things and teach you things and help you with things. But that's only watering and planting. God still has to give the increase. There are even programs and facilities and all the things that we do here, all these little little uh, campaigns and things like that, as good as they are, those things only will be successful if God provides the success. I can't save anybody, you can't save anybody. I, I was going to say I wish I could, but you know what? I actually don't, because if I had to save them, y'all wouldn't be saved very long. You'd all go to hell, because I'd save you for five seconds, and then you'd be gone, because you'd be trusting in Matthew's church. Lord, help me. I can't save anybody, you can't save anybody. It is God who's the one that saves. Furthermore, if you think about the analogy of the field that he's talking about, if you have a field, of the, whether it's a field or a garden or whatever you've got, yeah, you've got to put the seed in the ground, and yeah, you've got to water it, and you've got to tend to it, and you've got to care for it. But did you, as the planter or the waterer or even the owner of the garden, did you cause it to grow? If you know anything about anything, you know there are other forces that you have no control over whatsoever that cause that stuff to grow. You could tend to it perfectly, but the weather not work with you. You could do everything exactly right, and just literally the stars not line up right, and it not grow. I say all that to say the work is not ours to do. It is God's work. He does the work. We cannot forget whose farm it is. This is not mine. It's not yours. It is the Lord's farm. So we have to, therefore, we go back to go back to our text here. He says there, verse seven. So neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that gives giveth the increase. You can't do it without God. Go to verse eight. Now he that planteth and that watereth, he that watereth are one. He's not saying there that they're the same person. He is simply saying that they are unified. They are focused in the same direction. They are one. They are of one mind. Those people that water and those people that plant are of one mind. What is that one mind? You think about it. You know, think about a big, big farm operation. You get hired and your job is to go do one part, one part of the work. Another person's job is to go do another part of the work. You're unified in one, one respect. What's that unification? You're doing different jobs. You have different skill sets. What's that one thing? You want to see the farmer's farm succeed. That's your goal. The same thing's going here. They are one. They have one unified focus. And he says, every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. But he says in verse 9, we are laborers together with God. You see this? Some, some of us, I think, sometimes we get this idea, and maybe, maybe I'm just talking to myself. I'll just be honest with you. Sometimes I get this idea. that the whole world on my shoulders. I got to take care of everything. If I'm not there, if I'm not doing it, it's just they think I'm going to get it done. I got to do it. Okay, I Oh, Lord, forgive me. None of these people have this, but it's me. But sometimes you get that feeling. But he says there were laborers together. That we are all in this thing together, working together. Yes, we are focused. We are one. We're unified. We're unified in that goal, trying to accomplish that thing. But we are laborers together. 
we are trying to accomplish His mission. The best example I can give you on this to help you try to get this picture in your mind. In spiritually stroke, we have uh, folks who take care of our money and finances, right? Yeah, we know that, right? So this stuff does just happen. There's some people that do work hard on that. You know some of those people. And we, we, we certainly try to watch over that. They try to be careful in how they handle the money. I've seen the processes. It sounds very good. I, I think they've got a very good sound process. But we'd get a little upset if we found out that Donna was out writing checks for whatever she wanted to write it for, wouldn't you? Would you? I think, actually, I think she would get mad if she found out somebody was doing that. But I'm just saying, wouldn't y'all get a little upset about that? Why? Because that's not her money, right? It's church's money. God's money, right? We want to take it, we want to manage it and serve it the same way. It's like your boss man. You're working for the boss man. He gives you, he says, I want you to accomplish this job and you have access to the, 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 the business's money and you go out and spend it on whatever you want to and you're, and he says, well, why'd you spend that money? He says, well, I just wanted something. No, it's not your money. It's not your money. It's not yours at all. It's not yours to do that way with. You're a, you're a manager. You are a steward who does what you do because the master tells you to do it. In the church setting here, again, you know, the, the master, the way we're, we're set up is the congregation. We make decisions as a congregation. Spend money this way, spend money that way. And therefore, then we have treasurers and things like that who take care of they make sure the money goes where it's supposed to go. Not because it's their idea. They might not even agree. They might have voted no. But the church said yes, so that's what we're going to do. That's the way we operate. God is the one who's in charge. Nobody here is independently important, and nobody here is independently uh, more important than the other, but we are all laborers together. We are important because of our connection to the Master who gives us a job to do. Do you see that, 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 that tension there? Because I think sometimes we get, it, we get it out of whack. We either, again, say, it's all about one person. The best pastor in the world, the best leader in the world, some important person in the church, whatever that is. Or we say, nobody matters. No, it's not it. God is the one in charge, and we get to be laborers in His field. That's what we get to do. He's the one that does that. So therefore, what we have to do is we have to be careful that we're not serving a man or a woman. We are serving the master. He's the one we have to be serving. We have to be careful to serve him first and only. That goes me now back to verse 9, and you see there he says that you are God's husbandry. That's simply a word that simply means that you are God's uh, field, God's farm, God's, God's uh, um, um, uh, agricultural operation. That's what he's talking about there, husbandry. But I want you to see the last phrase there. He says, he switches analogies. He says, you are God's building. You're God's building. So the church is not only a growing field, the church is God's showpiece building. I want you to see this in this passage here. He is building a household of faith. That's what God is doing. He's building a household of faith. He calls us there in verse 9. He says that we are His building. And He has used people. Paul, look at verse 10. He says, this is Paul writing, he says, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builders thereupon. Oh, they're on. God has used people like Paul to lay a foundation stone, to, to lay things out. And he's only able to do that because God's grace has enabled him to do that. Now, 
we understand what that foundation is. He says that a little bit later in this passage, but he's already mentioned what that foundation is. What did Paul do when he walked into the Corinthian church? In chapter 2 and verse 2, he said, I preach Christ and Him crucified. That's all I do. That's what I want to know. I don't want to know anything else. I just want to preach Christ and Him crucified. So the foundation he's laying is the foundation of the gospel. That's what he's doing, the foundation of the gospel. But he says, I want you to see what he says there in verse 10. The last part, he says, I've laid the foundation on another build a fair pond, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Y'all know that song, We're Working on a Building? Y'all know that song? You head nod. That's it. The rest of you, talk to me later about it. That's, where the, that's what it's talking about here. That we're, we're building a building. That's the idea that we're building a building. And the fact is, that building, even Paul, as he lays that initial foundation down, which is the gospel, that is enabled by God to do that. But we're all invited to participate. We're all invited to participate in putting that together. But he says that we've got to be careful how we do that. You can't just put any old thing up. Just because there's a hundred people working on it, this is the problem with a hundred people working on something. You don't know what everybody's doing. You've got to make sure we're all doing the right thing, going the right direction. That's the problem. That's what he wants us to see. Because he goes back and says in verse 11, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He says, the rock of Christ has got to be at the bottom, the base of all of this. Y'all remember that story of the Sermon on the Mount? The Mount Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gives that, that story of the, the man who builds his house on the sand and the man who builds his house on the rock. Y'all remember this story? Y'all remember this in Sunday school. Well, you remember what happens to the man who builds his house on the sand? The storm comes. What happens? The house falls down. The man who builds his house on the rock. What happens? The storm comes. That's the difference between we building a church on the foundation of Jesus versus we build a church on the foundation of my desires, your hopes, and your dreams, my wants, and your wishes. What's going to happen? Storm's going to come. Our storm's going to come to this church. Amen. You better believe it. If they haven't come yet, they're going to come soon. And there might be storms on the inside, there might be storms on the outside, but they're going to be storms. They might be emotional, spiritual storms, they might be physical, literal physical storms, they might be any number of things, but if this church is not built on the rock of Jesus Christ, might as well forget it, might as well hang it up because it's going to fall apart. The foundation determines whether or not it'll stand. Now, as we build on top of that foundation, We've got this perfect, and Jesus is perfect. Y'all believe that? I believe Jesus is perfect. We've got a perfect foundation. Perfect foundation. Nothing can assail that foundation. The gates of hell will not stand against that foundation. Now, what are y'all going to do putting up a bunch of plywood and lean-tos, scrap pieces and parts on top of that foundation? What in the world are we thinking doing that? That's why he says that. Look what he says in the next thing. Now, if any man build on this foundation, he gives a list of building materials. Gold. Silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble. Now, the wood, hay, stubble, I'm going to focus on that for just a minute. That is exactly what you think it is. It's wood, it's hay, and it's stubble. It's just the stuff that is, it, it can burn, it might rot if it's not treated properly. There's all kinds of things that can go wrong with that. And what's going to happen, he says later on, he says that if he, in verse 13, that we're going to have that work, that building that we've added onto the foundation, it's going to be tried. He says, every man's work shall be manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. God is literally going to take this building that we put on and he is going to light the fire. 
Now, which one do you think is going to stand a little bit harder or better in that, that day of fire judgment? Wood, hay, stubble, or silver, gold, and stone? Which one do you all want to go with? Which house do you want to be inside if you have to be inside one of these and there's fire on the outside? I think I'd rather, and I don't want to be in any house on fire, to be fair, but if I have to be in one, I'm going to be in the one that's going to be not going to burn to the ground, you understand? The one that's going to burn to the ground is the wood, hay, stubble. The reason I bring this up is because it is worldly thinking that builds wood, hay, and stubble on top of that perfect foundation. Really, think about this. You've got this perfect foundation. You put, you've invested, you know, just like ridiculous amounts of money into this foundation for this home that you're building. But you're going to put the worst kind of shoddy building materials on top of it. Why would you do that? Why not, if you're going to invest in that foundation, why not make sure that what goes on top of it matches that, fits to that, works with that? That's exactly what we're supposed to do. So how then are we going to continue to build this church? The church matters to Jesus, and how we build on that matters to God. First of all, we do not dare not lay another foundation, right? That's the only foundation we need, Jesus. There's nothing else we need. But we also have to make sure that as we're adding on to that foundation. This is what we're talking about here. We're not, we're not adding Jesus here. We're simply continuing to build this showcase of God's glory. How are we going to do that? My message? Your message? No. There's one message. It's the cross. It's the gospel. It is Christ and Him crucified. So we want Him to give us the grace to be master builders, much like Paul, Paul is in verse 10. But we want to make sure we're doing that because we're serving Him first and only. Now, I want to show you the last analogy before we, we wrap up here in verses 15 and 17. And so just go to verse 16, please. He says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. What I want you to see is that the church is God's holy temple. I want you to understand this about this stuff of church. The church of Jesus Christ in this era of human history, this is where God Jesus dwells. You go back to the history of the Bible, in the Garden of Eden, God chose to dwell with Adam and Eve. And they sinned. Then later on throughout the Old Testament, you'll see that God chose to dwell with His people in the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle and the temple. But now, at this moment in time, God has chosen to dwell with His people in the hearts of believers. I want you to understand this. That if you're a Christian today, if Jesus is your Savior, if you have confessed faith in Him and heaven is your home, that you literally have God dwelling in you. Now that's true if you're out in the woods, hunting, or you're at home by yourself, or you're driving down the interstate and getting mad at everybody, or whatever you're doing. But how much more true is that do you understand that? The power of that? We've got whatever we got, three or four thousand people here today, and all these people have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. That is amazing that God does that. All of that is to simply say to you, God doesn't just dwell with anything. You do realize, I, one of the books that Coach Keith and I talk about this every now and again, I, I really like Leviticus, and, and we, we had a little discussion about Leviticus. Leviticus, and I know that's a little dry and all that stuff, but you go look at that. God gave the whole book of Leviticus, actually some of Exodus and Leviticus and all of Deuteronomy, He gave that to His people to say, here's your instruction manual so I can dwell with you. 
And you know what you get to do? Walk around every day with God dwelling in you. You didn't have to, you have to go and memorize and practice all those things because of what Jesus has done. The point is that I want you to understand that the church matters a lot to God. The church matters a whole lot. In fact, even Zephaniah says in Zephaniah 3, 17, that he sings over us. He loved us so much that he died for us. And he's coming back to get us someday. Paul even says in the First Corinthians chapter 6, God's got some big plans for this church. He's kind of fussing with the Corinthian church in First Corinthians 6. He's saying, you know, why are y'all doing this, that, and everything? He says, don't you know, you're going to judge angels. God's got some big plans for y'all. I'm saying all that to you to say, you're pleasing and acceptable to God. He has got big plans for you. So could you imagine how upset God would be with anybody who's going to mess with his people? Oh, y'all with me on this one, because I'm going to try to help you this way. I know because I did this uh, over the Wednesday night. I said something about this, and that's uh, people ready to fight. Um, some of you, mamas and daddies, you got a little daughter or son or a granddaughter or grandson. You might mess with that little young man. What are you going to do? You ready to fight, ain't you? I, mean, I, I know it's just. I know it's just a. A silly school thing, some teacher that didn't know what she was saying or whatever it was, but you don't care. I'm ready to take up arms. Right? Now, here we go. At least one or two of y'all understand this analogy. So now, now that we got you there, imagine God does all that He has done for you. And can you imagine how upset He is when somebody messes with His church? So let's see what He does in verse 17. If any man defile the temple of God, that word defile is to corrupt it or to ruin it or destroy it, to make a mess out of it or to cause any kind of disorder, just to basically make whatever is going on there, to make it no longer going on there. If anybody were to defile the temple of God, look what he says, him, that person, God, or shall God destroy Even when it's done in a well-meaning manner, just because you want people to agree with you. Because you've got a pet doctrine or a pet issue that you think everybody needs to buy into. Because you want to leave behind a legacy. Or because you've got a project you want to make sure it gets funded. You're willing to make a mess, cause disorder, undermine the purpose of the church. The Bible says if you're doing that, if you defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. He literally, that word destroy, I'm using the King James Version there, it's literally the same word destroy as the word defile in the Greek. It's literally the same word. He's saying, you want to mess with his church, you're going to corrupt his church, you're going to ruin his church, you're going to destroy his church, God's going to corrupt you, ruin you, and destroy you. How in the world do you avoid that terrible end? Be careful to serve God first. And stop serving your legacy, you stop serving your tradition, stop serving your position, your, position, your pet, pet project, your pet belief, and start serving God. When you truly love God, here's what's going to happen. You're going to love His bride. You're going to 
stop trying to get in the way of his bride, trying to make his bride be your best friend. You're going to be in love with the groom. You're going to love him, and you're going to do anything. You'll be willing to lay your life down for his church, but you're going to do it because you love Jesus first. When you get to that point, when you get to the point you're willing to sacrifice for God, God can do some things with us. We'll protect our church then. I'm closing. I promise you I'm closing. I'm closing. If this helps you at all, I'm on my last page of notes. Do y'all love Ellisboro Baptist Church? Okay. Do you want to see this church grow? Do you want to see this church become a showpiece of God's grace? Do you want to see this place be where there's a bunch of people that gather together and God dwells in every one of them? Do you want that? Then, some of us have got to stop worshiping this church, this building, even this assembly, and start worshiping the one that gave himself for us. Some of us need to repent of the ways. Sometimes it's small ways. Sometimes it's out of ignorance. Sometimes it's big and, and it's out of meanness. But we've got to repent of the ways that we have tried to live over God's church. We've got to stop thinking that we're the special thought that this church needs. We've got to stop doing what we do because somebody guilted us into it. Uh, because we think the world will fall apart if we don't do it. We need to start serving our God out of love. Here's my invitation to you. Very simple. I should say before I give you this, I always want to invite people to Jesus. If you're not saved, please come to Jesus. He loves you. He died for you. But based on what the text is talking about today, I think it's primarily to the church. And I want to invite every member of Ellisville Baptist Church to dedicate yourself to the Lord. Tell Him that you will serve Him and Him only. You'll do whatever He tells you to do. And you'll love His church the way He loves His church. Maybe for some of you that means you need to just come and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've been defiling the church. I don't like to say it out loud, but it's true. That's what I've done. I'm sorry. He'll forgive you. Some of you need to come and say, Lord, I haven't been dedicated to your church the way I need to. I've been more worried about my little program, my little mess of the world. I just want to make sure I feel good about the singing or the preaching or whatever. That's all I care about. So I'm not really sure the church. Some of you need to take this opportunity. There's some of you that have been visiting for a while. This may be a chance for you to say, you know what, I might need to align myself with this church so I can be a member of this church, so that I can start serving in this church. That's between you and God, but I want to invite you now. I want to go ahead and stand, please, would you? I want to invite you now. Would you take this time to dedicate yourself to serve the Lord? Not this church, but serve Him. And I think by extension, this church will be served. Do you understand that? Lord, please move among your people. I've asked them. I've presented them with the truth of your word. I've asked them to dedicate themselves to the Lord. Ultimately, they're not dedicating themselves to me. They're dedicating themselves to you. And Lord, I pray that you will show them, that you will remind them, that you'll confirm in them that you love them and that you'll use them. You will indeed provide the answer.
pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If he plays, why don't you respond? If the Lord's moved you. I'd, I'd love to see some of y'all just go ahead. You come on down and cover the front of this church and just say, Lord, I, I, I'm dedicated to you. That's what, I, that's what I'm inviting you to do. Just to come on and say, Lord, I, I'm, I'm going to serve you. You're the one that I'm, I'm, I'm following after. And yes, you happen to have me here. You put me in this place with these people. And I love them, but I love you more and I love you first. Why don't y'all come? Why don't y'all come and dedicate yourself to the Lord? Why don't you do that? Tell him that you're going to serve him first. You serve him only. Why don't you come? Why don't you come?